Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Three loaves of bread. Mighty God, I come hungry tonight for the three loaves of bread you've prepared for us. And I pray that as we participate tonight, we will feast on you. Thank you, Lord. Encourage our hearts. I pray in your holy name. Amen. The disciples observed Jesus taking large amounts of time out of his daily schedule to pray. They watched him pray. And finally, as he came back to them, they said, would you teach us to pray? And he began giving to them what we now call the Lord's Prayer as a model prayer. And it's a wonderful prayer. It is, in fact, the model for all of my prayer life. I always begin when I get before the Father by praising him, by asking that his will would be done. I follow the Lord's Prayer in my daily prayer life. But when Jesus was finished giving them the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11, he did not say, now let's practice it. Had I been giving you a prayer that you were to pray, I would have given it to you and then said, now let's repeat after me. That was not what Jesus did. He now wanted to take them in deeper so that they would begin to understand what was behind his praying. You know, people don't just pray because they can pray. We always pray out of need. We pray because we have to pray. We're going to die if we don't. Those are the only prayers that are heard. These casual, now I lay me down to sleep prayers are nice and sentimental. But those are not the prayers that move heaven and earth and open the doors for the mighty power of God. He begins by telling them a story. There was a man once who who had friends come into town, and he had no food. And so he goes to a friend at midnight and begins to pound on his door. Now, we need to stop a minute. You need to understand the cultural circumstances that Jesus was talking about that was very well understood in that day. You did not run to the grocery store to buy your supplies. You went to the market day. And if the market is not open and you have people come into town, you cannot say to them, Shalom. Enter my home if you have no shalom to offer them. And so a man would be shamed if friends were to come to town and he could not say shalom or peace or provision to them. They would consider that the height of disrespect and could even cause the breaking of friendships. A man had to have bread to offer. He had to offer food to the visitor. Because when you say shalom, you are saying, come in, all of the provision here is for you. When you enter into my home, you will be provided for. And this man could not say shalom. He was in desperate need. And so he goes to another friend's house, midnight. And he begins to pound on that door because he has to have bread. This is not an optional snack for his visitors. This is an absolute necessity for him. And so he is very bold. He is very persistent. He comes knocking on the door. The word in the Greek He comes begging at the door. He comes begging at the door. 
had he come to the door and gently rapped and whispering said, My friend, wake up. I have friends. They have just come and I need bread. His friend would have continued snoring. And not even the mice would have stirred. That was not the case. He came pounding on the door. He came urgently. My friend, my friend, I need your help. You don't ask unless you have dire need in that manner. So he comes begging his friend. The one inside answers, Don't bother me. I'm in bed with my children. The door's locked. I can't get up. I can't give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him the bread because he's his friend, but because of the man's boldness or his persistence. He will get up and give because he's been so disturbed, he's not going to get a wink of sleep all night if he doesn't get up and get this man some bread so he can climb back under the warm covers. He has no choice. He has to get up. He has been awakened rudely. And so he receives as much as he needs. You notice he asks for three loaves of bread. And as I have read this, I have often pondered it. I keep coming back to the scripture because then I have had to ask, well, what are the three loaves of bread? Let me read for you what the three loaves of bread are. Verse 9, Luke 11, verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Loaf number one. Seek, and you will find. Loaf number two. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Loaf number three. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, always in the past, when I've preached on this, I've stopped right there. And I've said, now let's talk about these three loaves. And we're going to do that. But I have missed the context of what Jesus is trying to say. And if that context is missed, the purpose of prayer is missed. Follow with me. Jesus continues, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, do you understand what we are going to consume these three loaves for? is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The desperate need that Jesus is addressing with his disciples as they say to him, would you teach us how to pray? Jesus is saying, no, the big issue is not how to pray. The big issue is the absence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And if you want to come into the prayer closet, come on into the prayer closet but there are some things you're going to have to do in the prayer closet to understand and act on for the power of the Holy Spirit to come into your life. Because until the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you're going to be starving, and you'll have no shalom to offer to anyone. All you'll have are the utensils that you eat with. All you will have is the dry tablecloth. All you'll have are the empty dishes. You'll have nothing that will bring sustenance and life. All you will have is a show of hospitality, but there will be no essence to the hospitality. It will be empty hospitality. Have you ever sat down to eat a meal at a table beautifully set up? And the guests say to you, I'm so glad you've come to dinner. But there's no food. 
but let's play with our fork and our spoon and our knife. Let's imagine the delicious food on our plates. Let's talk about the sparkle of the grape juice. No, foolishness. Without the Holy Spirit, we have nothing on the plate. We have no shalom. We can have principles. We can have our table etiquette. We can have everything figured out. We can even have the the name cards where each person is going to sit. But if there is no beef, you leave the table starving. So as we come to these three loaves of bread, the purpose in our eating these three loaves is to find the shalom of God, the provision of God. The loaves of bread lead us to the Holy Spirit. Now, I will not ask you to believe the interpretation I'm sharing with you without walking into the depths of Scripture, which is just what we intend to do together now. I want you to see that Jesus develops this much more fully. Tonight, we're going to deal specifically with the first loaf of bread, to ask. And I want to say again very boldly to you, that when you see the scripture I'll share with you tonight, it will be abundantly clear to your heart that your plate is empty and that you have no shalom to offer. And it is imperative that we go to our friend's house, our friend is Jesus, and knock on his door until he gets up and gives us the bread. We don't come into the prayer closet and say formal prayers. We don't come into the prayer closet and say rote traditional prayers. We don't come into the prayer closet and say perfunctory prayers and expect that the God of heaven will hear them. God doesn't even begin to hear us until there is an earnest, desperate need that wells up and breaks through all of the pride and the arrogance of our soul so that finally we can enter into his presence in the throne room and he will begin to feed us of these loaves that he wants to pour out for us. A dear one this last week said to me, Pastor, In our church, the prayers are always perfunctory. Quick, let's finish the prayers and let's get to business. They have no food to offer. How is it in your life? Is there a desperate sense of need in your soul? And are you willing to allow that to drive you into the prayer closet, into the presence of Jesus Christ? where you will receive bread. This scripture cuts my heart. Walk with me in the book of John, the 14th chapter. John, the 14th chapter. I'm going to begin with verse 12. Jesus now speaking very boldly to his disciples says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Is that your experience or is that your theology? When you pray, do the gates of heaven open for you and is the Holy Spirit poured out in power so that what you have asked for comes to pass? Can you change the physical world by your prayer closet time? Or is your prayer closet time changed by your physical world? Is prayer optional in your life? 
Is it one of the yoga processes for meditation that brings peace to your soul? Is prayer something you do to quiet yourself? Is prayer something you do to soothe yourself? Or are you able to go into the prayer closet and touch the throne of God in such a way that the heavens move on your behalf and your prayer is answered? Jesus, speaking very straight now, says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father. You notice he does not ask the Father until you love Jesus by obeying his commands. He will give you another counselor, that is, someone to replace Jesus, to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I've spent almost all of my life as an orphan. A spiritual orphan. Devoid of the Holy Spirit's power and presence. Living by the best principles I could live by. Doing the best job I could do. But no anointing. No power. I don't want to be an orphan anymore. I don't want to die an orphan. I want to live in the victory and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I have come once more to a point in my life where I am begging God. I am asking God. I am asking in the name of Jesus for the poured out power and presence of the Holy Ghost. Now, asking that, I recognize he will say to me, first of all, Ray, if you want this, you're going to have to obey what I command you. And so when I am walking into the house and something beckons me and says, come, Ray, sit down and read me. And on the other hand, the Holy Spirit is saying, Ray, come now. I want to teach you. If I go toward that thing and pick it up and begin to indulge in that thing, I am grieving the Holy Spirit who is calling after me. And I'm not obeying the commands of Jesus Christ. Or if I am walking through a circumstance that looks like it's going to become overwhelming, I'm sitting at the radio desk. And suddenly the phone lines are dead. Suddenly notes are being written to me and people are coming into the studio and fear rises up in my heart. And I say, this is impossible. I grieve the heart of God. Because the circumstances are now controlling how I'm functioning. But if, on the other hand, I'm able to turn toward the Lord and say, Lord, you see the waves and you see the water, but I know I'm not going to drown because you're in the boat with me. And you have this storm under your control. So, Lord God, it's your storm. It's your boat. I'm yours. I'm going to go to sleep. You go ahead and work. You see, with the disciples, Jesus went to sleep and they did the work. Yes, I'm tired of that deal. I want to go to sleep while the Holy Spirit does the work. But it means I'm going to have to listen to the prompting and to the drawing and to the wooing of the Holy Spirit. And as he searches my heart, I'm going to have to step into obedience to the simplest of his commands. One of the most difficult commands he gives me is to rest. One of the most difficult commands I have to obey is his command to rest. I don't have a rest button. I have an action button. You succeed by trying. You succeed by not stopping. When the times get tough, the tough get going. Well, I've been tough. I've kept going. 
and my wife will come to me and say, Ray, go sit in your chair and take a nap. You're exhausted. I don't want to do that. I don't have time. Ray, please, come, sit in your chair, take a nap. Well, that's defeat for me. I want to get the problem solved. I want to get the work finished. I want to get the production in the studio done. I could give you a whole list of things that are undone. The radio station wants new spots for advertising springs of living water. I've not had the time to produce them. That's a terrible travesty. Now we have an event coming and we need an announcement produced. I haven't had time to produce it. That's a terrible travesty. There are people that I desperately want to visit and talk with. I've not been able to. The list goes on and on and on. Why can't I get it all done? Well, who told me I was supposed to get it all done? Who's giving me assignments? Well, obviously. Thank you very much. I hand out the assignments. No, you were bought at a price. You are not your own. So that means your assignments aren't yours either. So what does Jesus want done? And when does he want it done? And who does he want me to talk with? And who does he not want me to talk with? What are his issues? What are his heart's desires? And so as I come into this understanding of of being tired of being an orphan, I recognize that I'm going to have to allow God to adopt me more and more fully into his heart. He says, I will come to you. Well, he will not come to me if I am busy doing my agenda. Because, frankly, I won't have time for him. You know, I have time only for those essential things. Things that produce results in the physical realm. Do you understand now why I began by speaking to you about, do your prayers make a difference in the physical realm? If you don't believe that your prayers make a difference in the physical realm, you will have no time to pray. Because you've got to step forward and make sure all the bases are covered. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. In other words, there's a dawning realization that the mighty God of heaven wants us to have. It's an awareness that he wants us to have. There's a a blind spot that he wants to now begin to bring illumination to. And it's not something that I can teach you. It's not something that I can learn out of a book. It's a dawning realization as we walk out this obedience to Jesus. It's a dawning realization where I suddenly begin to recognize God is in me. God is invading me. He is taking over every aspect of my mind and my heart. Thank you, Jesus. Come in now, Jesus. Come in even more. And I begin to recognize that not only am I having God come into me, I'm coming into God. We're becoming one together. As I submit my bitter heart, as I submit my agenda, as I submit and and lay down and die out totally, it's a process of dying out. And as I die out, he moves in. As I die out, he moves in. As I die out, he moves in. And the realization suddenly starts to dawn on me. The Father is in Jesus, 
Jesus is in the Father, Jesus is in me, and I'm in Jesus, and something incredible is happening in my life. Whoever has my commands, now he comes back to this. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. You're having a hard time seeing Jesus? Then there's too much of you and too little of Jesus. That's not an accusation. That's just a fact. And if you want to begin to see more of Jesus, it means allowing him to move in a little more. And that means you moving out a little more. So that as you move out and he moves in, the dawning realization comes that Jesus is in me. And I find the restraining work of the Spirit is growing stronger in my heart so that I don't quickly give in to those circumstances anymore. I mean, the Lord is so very, very merciful. I come into this month with great dread in my heart because every month of December has been a bitter, bitter struggle in the prayer closet financially. And so I've come into the prayer closet this month, and I've been asking the Lord, Lord, you see this issue. I'm not going to touch it. I'm going to lay this at your feet. I'm going to trust you with this. I'm not going to believe again that December is going to be an awful month. I go to the post office, and there a precious listener, believer, sent a check for $1,000 totally unexpected. I know who, I know why. God would have covered the expenses anyway, but out of his kindness and mercy to my heart, he stepped in to say, okay, you're on the right direction now. Trust me. And I'll confirm it to you. And I'll show you. Obey me. Walk with me. Trust me. And as I step into that, he moves outside of me, hearing my prayer in my prayer closet, moving outside of me with someone I have no ability to control or touch, and moves in their heart to say, here's the evidence now. You can see in the physical realm now, What happened because you went in your prayer closet? Now, I know enough not to try that next month. (laughs) You can't manipulate God. As C.S. Lewis puts it, God is not a tame lion. You don't set up hoops and ask God to jump through them. You understand that. You don't set up hoops and ask God to jump through your hoop. But he is a God of great kindness and great mercy and great compassion. And he knows that we're but children, weakened by the sin in our hearts. And he steps in and he lifts us and he encourages us in the most unexpected way. I mean, what would you think of someone if they every month in your family gave you a dozen roses and they always came on the same day and every time a gift of roses would come, they'd be wonderful the first time, the second time you'd enjoy them, the third time, by the fourth, fifth time, roses would be getting old. In fact, they'd sit in your house and you wouldn't even notice them. There are always roses in the house, so, so what? Oh, the glory. When suddenly a dozen white roses show up at your door. And they're sitting on the table. And never do roses sit on your table. 
And every time you come in the room, you look at those beautiful white roses. You, you're drawn to them every morning when you get up to come over and look at those and, and smell the fragrance of that beautiful white rose. That's how God is. He comes at the most unexpected times. And he meets us in such a way that our heart is melted and we're drawn in by his kindness. Now, most of us in this room are accustomed to, to being slapped and kicked and cursed. Well, not in the physical, but in the spirit. And so we expect God to always be judging us, to always be examining us and saying, you didn't measure up. But that's not who God is. That's not how he operates with his children. He comes and he searches our hearts, not to condemn us, but to draw us out after his love. And he reveals to us those sicknesses, those broken places, those bruised places where we're just making ourselves miserable. And he says, could I step in and heal you in that area? And then in such awesome ways, he comes in with those white roses or he comes in with a thousand dollars or he comes in with some word from a brother or sister and it comes just at the right moment and the healing bomb just flows into our souls. That's who God is. Now listen. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. I mean, this is paramount on the heart of God. Three times he's now said to us, if you love me, obey my commands, obey my teachings. Walk with me. Come and walk with me. Don't turn aside to the darkness. Don't turn aside and starve yourself to death. Come, ask. Ask. My father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teachings. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I've spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Now listen. Shalom, I leave with you. My shalom, I give to you. What's he saying? My bread I give to you. And now you will have something to put on those beautiful plates for the lost of Washington, D.C. You will have my shalom to feed the city of Washington. How do we receive the shalom of God? By obeying the commands of God and by receiving the Holy Ghost as we ask for him, as we ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We have on one side, we have the prosperity churches. We have the easy believism people. We have the people who say, just confess your your love for Jesus Say a little sinner's prayer. And now all you have to do is walk out of here and claim that you are the righteousness of Christ. And all you have now is to walk in the full blessing and prosperity of God. Now just give us your money. And God will give you money. Then we have on the other side, the eternal security people. Who live by principles. And the principles can be laid out very clearly. Do this and don't do that. 
Raise your family this way. Here are all the requirements for being an elder. Here are all the requirements for being a deacon. Here are all the requirements for a deaconess. Now, do you meet all these requirements? Yes, I do. Thank you. Your ticket is punched. Come on into the banquet. You can now function in our church. But we're not going to allow any Holy Spirit stuff in our church. We're not going to allow any charismatic stuff in our church. We don't speak in tongues. We operate by principle. The Holy Spirit is not for our day. The Holy Spirit was only for the apostles' day. And it's now passed away, and we're in another dispensation. And both of them are lying and have deceived countless millions of people and caused them to have nothing to put on the plate. One side lays on the plate all of the rules for eating. On the other side, they put all their filthy lucre on the plate. And both starve the world to death. It is the presence and the power of the Holy Ghost that brings the food of life to the lost and to the dying. It is not brought by human will or human effort. It is brought by the power of Almighty God in the pouring out of the Holy Ghost. And so what Jesus was saying to these precious disciples was, look, I'm not going to give you a list of do's and don'ts for your prayer life. You're going to have to recognize how hungry you are. You're going to have to recognize that you need to come and beg me to pour out the Holy Spirit on your life. That that's what you're lacking. You are missing the power and the presence of the Holy Ghost. You are an orphan. And your sins have separated you and me. But if you'll obey my commands, and I'll come and make my home with you. I'll move in with you. And you come and move in with me. And we'll live together. He says, peace, shalom, I leave with you. My shalom, I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Is your heart troubled tonight? Are you fearful tonight? Do you have a a heart full of issues that you're struggling with? Then I invite you to go to the presence of the Father. And to begin to ask for the bread the shalom, to get on your face before God and begin to plead with him and cry aloud to him and not to give up, but to be persistent, to tell him what your heart condition is, to tell him how hungry you are, to tell him all the ways you've been deceived, to tell him all the ways you've been tricked and fooled by the enemy. And to cry out to him and say, Almighty God, I've been beat up. And I need the Holy Spirit. See, we're going to have no power to fill this sanctuary, let alone a larger sanctuary, until the Holy Spirit comes. Now, I want to tell you about a meeting. We were sitting around a dining room table a number of years ago. A couple of you might have been sitting with us around that dining room table. We were discussing in detail a prospectus that had been written. Everything was laid out very clearly in this prospectus, both for fundraising and as an action plan, because Jan and I, in our background, have been experts at strategic planning. 52 pages of of excellent strategy for the opening of a great church. 
and one humble little lady spoke up. And she said the unforgivable. She said, wouldn't it be easier if we just ask the Holy Spirit to come and do it all? And I, in my great wisdom, and my theological understanding, said, oh, yes, we will need the Holy Spirit, but we also need a plan. We need a methodology that the Holy Spirit can bless. And later in our bedroom, my courteous and kind wife said to me, Ray, was that really such a foolish suggestion? And I said, what suggestion? (laughs) And she said that, that God opens his own church. That we don't need to do anything except ask for the Holy Ghost. And very defensively, I said, what do you think I've been doing? I've been asking for the Holy Spirit. And he needs some help. He expects us to step in and do the best we can with the gifts we have. Yes! Yes! So Jan very humbly and quietly said, okay, Ray. And we went ahead and moved forward. We threw that prospectus away because it wasn't professional enough. And we plastered the walls. And then we took our very best thoughts to a professional writer and had this written professionally. And then we had it all shinied up and put in a a beautiful cherry cover with 14 karat gold insets, the golden prospectus, some $20,000 later, using the very last of every resource we possibly had. The Lord allowed us to give out 15 of those. And then he confronted me. And he said, now put it away. It's over. Your vision is dead. And I was speechless. Which was a good thing. (laughs) If I had argued with him, I might not have lived. And then the National Prayer Chapel was born as God's vision. My vision was the Garden Cathedral. God's vision was the National Prayer Chapel. You understand what a chapel is? A chapel, historically, was a small gathering place at the palace of the king. Originally, it was the place where the coats were held. The chapel was the coat room. And so, if you please, the National Prayer Chapel is just the National Coat Room. It's a small room associated with the palace of the king. It's where the humble servants go to hang up all of the coats. Hallelujah! Now, do you get the picture of what the National Prayer Chapel is? It is a place of humble service as a part of and associated with the castle of the king. We don't sit on the throne. He does. We're not even blessed by being called knights. We're just servants. We're coat hangers. And that doesn't take strategic planning. That just takes the power of the Holy Ghost. So if we want the Holy Spirit, the first step toward receiving the Holy Spirit is to begin to ask God earnestly if he will send the Holy Spirit. 
to beseech the throne of grace, to beg the Father for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we have the assured promise in the book of Matthew that this God that we serve will not give us a scorpion. He will not give us a stone. He will give us what we have asked him for. If we who are fathers know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does the Father in heaven know how to give to us the Holy Ghost? Will you break your pride and ask? It is humble bread he asks us to partake of. For it is always the Lord who is asked. It is always the servant who does the asking. And most of my life, I have become accustomed to the lifestyle of the Lord. And I would have others ask me. Some of you look at me rather blankly. Haven't you done the same? You are eager to grant the humble requests of your subjects, your children, your work associates, those around you who might perhaps ask you for help. And if they ask you in an appropriate manner, you might condescend to help them. But if they speak to you in the manner of a Lord speaking to his servant, all the pride rises up. And we say, don't treat me that way. We're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit at the National Prayer Chapel in order to feed shalom to the city of Washington, D.C. We're going to have to humble our hearts. and We're going to have to beg God. Not because he needs us to beg, but because we need to beg. Because in the begging process, we have our hearts humbled. And we learn how to serve. Pass me not, O gentle Savior.
You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Oh, His glory.